Well, as we're getting started here, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8 this evening. And if you don't have a Bible, that's all right. Just follow along as we go. We're going to have a great time in the study of the Word. We looked at a couple of questions this morning, started our focus time here together this morning on this single question. And that question is this, do you believe that God is in control? And I told you this morning that we were going to answer that question. And as we answered that question, we looked at Acts chapter 17, and there were three specific things that we know that helped us to understand that God is in control. God is in control of a life that is given. Why? Because He is the Creator. He's the one who gives life. He's not dependent on anything else. He's only dependent upon Himself. And the exact opposite of that, we're dependent upon Him for everything that we have. Our God is in control of a life that is given. Secondly, our God is in control of a life that is lived. He is the God who places us geo, uh, geographically, and He's the, play, the person who positioned us within history for this time and this season right here in Davis, Oklahoma. And so God is the God who is in, con- in control of a life that's lived. And then the last thing that we learned is that God is in control of a life that is saved. And what that means is exactly what we've been singing. Salvation belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His to give. He is the one who will give salvation to any person that He so desires to give it to. He's the one that draws them by the power of his spirit and brings us into right relationship with him and so God is active in and among us and he is in control of all of life's circumstances he's the one that will give us everything that we need including salvation and so that's the answer to that first question do you believe that God is in control and I want to continue tonight helping you to think through do we believe do you really believe what we've just talked about that God is in control that he's in control of giving life that he's in control of helping people to have everything that they need and positioning them in life do you believe that he is the God of salvation and the second question that I told you we were going to discuss tonight is do you truly believe that God's word is true and listen to me In both of those questions, you can't divide them apart. If you choose to believe that God is in control, you must come to believe that His Word is true because His Word is what He has given us to govern us and guide us and help us to understand how He is in control. And so this evening, as we continue in God's Scripture, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a specific story that continues to paint out that picture of, one, how God is in control. Secondly, how God's Word is true. That's what we're going to try to answer the questions of tonight. Do you, do you believe that God is in control? And do you believe that His Word is true? Now, before I dive into this scripture, I just want to paint a picture for you very clearly. This evening, if you weren't here this morning, I just want to articulate this to you. You're not here by uh, by happenstance. You're not here just by coincidence this evening. If if you are here this evening, if God has br- uh, the reason that you are here this evening is because God has brought you here. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that His Word teaches us that He is in control of our lives and that tonight, whether this is your first time in the doors of First Baptist Church of Davis, whether this is your 100th time here in this church, or whether you've been here for 50 years, it doesn't matter. I know that God brought you here. And if He brought you here, that means that He desires to speak a powerful, true word to your heart. 
Now listen, something that I also believe and what we're going to get into here in just a moment, because I believe that God's word is true, I believe that every time that it is preached, every time that it is taught, and every time that it is studied, it requires an action out of our life. So this morning's sermon wasn't me just blowing a bunch of wind. It, it wasn't just a bunch of sweat poured out on this pulpit. If God's word truly went forth, it requires you to respond. And so you may have gone home and taken your Sunday afternoon nap. You may have gone home and ate a good meal. You may have gone home and gone through your Sunday ritual. But the question that I will continue to ask you because you're back tonight is this. What did you do? What are you going to do with the truth of God's word that's gone out to you? Because you have to do something with it. Alistair Begg says that we're accountable to every single sermon we've ever heard in our life. That someday you're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, I gave counsel to you from my word, from my men. What did you do with all of those sermons? If I believe that God's word is true, I have to believe that it requires some kind of change in my life. And I want to paint that picture for you out of Acts chapter 8 this evening. Let's look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to begin in verse 26, and we're going to seek to answer this question. Do you really believe that God's word is true? And so let's look at the scripture together. Read along with me as we go. We're going to begin in verse 26. We're going to read all the way down to verse 40. So follow along with me as we go. It says in verse 26, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? And about, is it about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. 
Let's pray. God, now I pray that you would exhort us and teach us, Father, that your word is true. If there's any person here, Father, who's questioning whether or not that be the case, I pray tonight by the power of your spirit and by the guidance of your word, God, that it would go forth and that it would demonstrate, that it would illustrate, that it would speak mightily to our hearts and it would cause us to believe wholeheartedly that you are a God who is in control and that your word is absolute truth and that we can receive it, that it can change who we are, God. I pray, Father, that if any person in this room at the hearing of your word is being drawn unto salvation that tonight would be their day their evening their night of salvation God that their life would be changed by the preaching and the teaching of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit enacted enacting the word God that they would be drawn to salvation that they would be drawn to place their full surrender in their life into your hands God and we know that a salvation belongs to you and so God if you desire to see someone saved tonight God, you're going to do that work in, in helping them to be saved. I pray, God, for my brothers and sisters in this room who are believers in you. And I pray, God, that as the word goes forth to their heart and also to my heart, that we would act upon that which you have given to us in truth. We trust you for this. We ask now that you would have your way in your work and we'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the honor because it belongs to you and to you alone. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Amen. So let me paint a picture for you about what's happening here. Do you believe that God's word is true? Do you believe that God is in control of all things? And in this text, we find an answer to both of those uh, questions this evening. You need to understand this as we get started. God purposely places every single one of us for his glory and for his work. God is a God on purpose who is in control and he places people specifically in time and in location for his purpose and for his work. And so this evening as you've come into this place, if you do not yet know Jesus, God has brought you here specifically for his purpose so that his work may be made known in your life. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has brought you specifically here that your heart may be changed by the power of his word. He has purposely placed you here this evening for his glory and for his work and that's true in this text so what's happening here in our text is you see we have a couple of main characters who are identified in Acts chapter 8 we have the Ethiopian eunuch who we're going to talk about in just a moment and we have Philip something you need to know about Philip first Philip is a called servant of God he's a man who has been called by Jesus Christ to minister the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he's an evangelist he's a soul winner he's a man just in the text previous to this who is standing and proclaiming the truth of God's word and as he's proclaiming the truth of God's word there are people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ and so it's a picture really similar to what we have here tonight it's a man Philip who's standing and he's faithfully preaching and proclaiming the truth of God's word and their their lives being changed and souls being saved why because he's presenting clearly the gospel message of Jesus Christ And it's in the midst of this great revival. It's in the midst of this great movement of God and this evangelistic fervor that God speaks to Philip in our beginning verse in verse 26. And an angel speaks down to Philip. And in the middle of this revival, he says to Philip, Now, Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
Now take into consideration exactly what's happening. If you don't believe that God's in control, take this as an illustrative picture of truth that God is in control. God is using Philip to see countless people come to know the Lord and all of a sudden he is spoken to by an angel and an angel says, leave what I'm doing here. I have something different for you to do and another place for you to go. So Philip looks and he says, okay, Lord. It's exactly what he does. He's preaching the gospel. He's seeing people saved. And listen, I'm an evangelist. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. But I'm an evangelist at heart. I love, I love to be a part of sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love, I love when people trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. My favorite thing to do every Sunday morning is to baptize people and to help them to follow through in faithfulness in their relationship with Jesus Christ. I absolutely adore that part of the work that God's called me to. And so my heart is drawn to have a little confusion here right because you got a guy philip who probably is real similar to me who's seeing a lot of people come to know the lord and all of a sudden god says i got something different for you to do and he calls him away from seeing all these people come to know the lord to move him on to a location where he's only going to be walking through the desert and sharing with one specific person why because god is in control god knows his purpose and his plan And God purposely places us for His glory and for His work. So he looks at Philip and he says, All right, Philip, I'm going to have you go. And so Philip says, Yes, sir. I received my marching orders from who? Jesus, my King. So wherever Jesus wants me to go, I'll go. It doesn't matter if it's to the one or if it's to the crowd. Wherever Jesus wants me to go, I'll be obedient. So Philip leaves the crowd and he follows the calling of the angel that the Lord has sent to him. And in this calling, he sends him where? He sends him down to a desert place. And listen, this road that it talks about between Jerusalem to Gaza, it's a 60-mile desert road. And he says, I want you to leave what I'm doing in Jerusalem, and I want you to go down to this desert road, and then I want you to listen and obey what it is that I'm going to do. Person one is Philip few things I want you to hear about Philip. Number one, Philip was available. Whatever God wanted to tell him to do, he wanted to be ready to do whatever God wanted him to do. A true person who is saved, who is named Jesus as king, will be available to whatever the king wants him to do. But not only was he available, but he was obedient. And so if you look here at our text in verse 27, it says... And he, meaning Philip, rose and he went. Plain and simple as that. Whenever the Lord Jesus called him through the angel and gave him a message to go, he said, okay. So not only was he available, but he was obedient. And listen, God will always speak to those who are willing to say, I am available for anything that you want me to do, any way that you want me to work, any person you want me to tell. He is going to use an available person. Secondly, He's going to use an obedient person, someone who says, I will get up and go even if it makes no sense. Go out to the desert road. Leave the crowd and go and share with the one. Okay, God, I'll go. And so Philip gets up and he went, and then... You enter into the next picture of what takes place. We'll come back to Philip in just a few moments. So Philip gets up and he goes. And now we see person two enter the picture. 
This man's named an Ethiopian eunuch, and it says that there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. This is a man of high standing under the queen of Ethiopia. And this man has a chariot available to him, and so he's riding this chariot across this 60-mile desert road, right? Where has he gone? He's gone from Gaza, Ethiopia. He's gone to Jerusalem. And why specifically would this Ethiopian eunuch be going to Jerusalem? Well, it's because he was a God worshiper. It's because he had been converted to Judaism somewhere along the line. And we don't know any more about this man other than we can believe that he was someone seeking after a true God. He had something in his heart that said, there's something about this that I want to know about. He was intrigued. He was interested. He was motivated. And let me clarify that for you just a little bit in the text, right? So first, we know that he was interested. Why? Because he rode in a chariot across the desert to Jerusalem to give worship to God. We know he's interested because he went to worship. Secondly, we know he's interested because what happens? It says that he's riding along in the chariot, and what is he doing? He's reading a scroll from Isaiah, which means what? You remember what I said to you about being interested this morning? If you were truly interested about Christianity, what are you going to do? You're going to go down and you're going to seek him. You're going to go down to the bookstore and you're going to buy a book or you're going to pick up the Bible and you're going to start reading it or you're going to listen to a sermon online or you're going to come to church and try to figure out what this deal is about. Well, listen to me. What really happens here is the Ethiopian eunuch went to Jerusalem. He went to the temple. He did a little bit of worship. And somebody said to him, hey, if, for instance, you'd like to buy some uh, uh, curriculum for your way home, we got a bookstore in the back of the temple. You ought to buy you a scroll and read it on your way home, right? We've always been about selling stuff. And so he did, right? He picked up his scroll of Isaiah. He said, oh, that sounds pretty good. Why? Because he's interested. Ain't no one going to buy a scroll of Isaiah without being truly interested in what it might say. So not only has he gone to worship, not only has he bought a scroll, but what's he doing is he's sitting in the chariot. He's reading it. Now listen, I don't know about you, but I own a whole lot of books that I never read. But the truth is, is that the ones that I'm most interested in, what do I do with them? I read them. By the way, you ought to take that in consideration when it comes to your Bible. Me too. If I'm truly interested in Jesus Christ, what am I going to do? I'm going to read His Word. This Ethiopian eunuch is interested. Not only is he interested, but he's motivated. So think about it just for a minute. What it continues to say here, and look down at your text again. It says, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, now enter back Philip, right? Philip's available, Philip's being obedient. And you notice what the, the angel says now to Philip. He says, go over and join that chariot. So what does Philip do? He runs to that chariot. He continues to obey. obey. And as he comes upon that chariot, he, heard, he hears him reading the Isaiah, uh, Isaiah the prophet. And then he asks this question. He says, do you understand what you're reading? So we have, we have this, uh, this prophet, Philip, who is being faithful, he's being obedient, he's being available, and now he's coming up to this circumstance, and he wants to be used by God. And I'll, I'll just point you here to why we know the Ethiopian eunuch is motiv motivated, right? Because whenever uh, Philip asks him the question, do you understand what you're reading, what is it that the eunuch says? Do you see? He says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Now listen, so this is what that means. That means that if you took your Bible and you flipped it over to Leviticus, 
You want to do that? I'll tell you what the killer of reading through the Bible is every year for most people. It's Leviticus. You're doing great, and you get to about February, and Leviticus hits, and you're like, oh, this is the worst. Right? I'm not telling you not to read the Bible through. I'm telling you it's just a process of endurance and love for the Lord to get you through Leviticus. In the same way that you read Leviticus and you got no clue what it says, that's exactly what's happening for the eunuch. Think about it. He's got a scroll and he's reading it and he has no clue what it's saying. Now, it takes a pure motivated man to read something that he has no clue what it means to continue to read it, right? That's motivation. The eunuch has pure motivation. He's reading through this going, he has no clue. He says to Philip, he says, how am I supposed to know what this is saying unless somebody tells me, unless somebody guides me, unless somebody shows me. But what's he doing? He's motivated to read it. He's also motivated, why? Because he specifically says, somebody needs to teach me. So not only is he trying to read it on his own, but now he's saying, somebody teach me how to do it. Right? If I'm truly motivated to learn chemistry... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read books that I don't understand, and I'm going to ask somebody to explain it to me. All the high school teachers in the room laughing, right? Because you know it's right. I don't remember a single thing about chemistry, but I can tell you this. If I ever get interested in it and I'm motivated to do it, I'm going to pick up a book and I'm going to try to read it, and I'm going to ask somebody to explain it to me. So the eunuch is interested. He's motivated. And you know what else I believe about the eunuch? I believe he's intrigued. How do we know that's true? Because what happens next is Philip starts explaining it to him. And whenever Philip starts explaining it to him, you're finding four questions that are present in this text. The first one's from Philip whenever he comes down and he says, do you understand what you're reading? The next three come from the eunuch. The second one is this, how can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? The third one then is this, uh, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? That means he's intrigued. At the moment that Philip starts explaining what it is that he's hearing and what it is that he's reading, that man's intrigued. He's like, oh, tell me more about this. What's this about? And so now he's asking some pertinent questions that apply to the truth of the Word. Now listen to me. Our original question that I wanted to dive into tonight is this. Do you believe that God's Word is true? Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe that God's Word is true? Now let me help you to understand whether or not you believe that God's Word is true. You ready? If you believe that God's Word is true, you believe that His Word is the beginning of a changed life. Think about it. If you believe that God's Word is true, you believe that His Word is the beginning of a changed life. Now let me explain that to you. The first thing that we know, and we've already studied just a little bit, is that, is that the Ethiopian eunuch is intrigued, that he is interested, and that he's motivated by what? The Word of God. Now what we believe, what I believe about the Scripture is that we have historical documentation. In fact, we can flip over to Acts chapter 21 and we can find specifically where Luke sat down with Philip and heard about this story. That means we have a man-to-man conversation that took place and that means that man-to-man Philip shared with Luke exactly what happened in this story. That means it's, That means that it's Man-to-man truth. 
right? Now, ultimately, you have to decide whether or not you believe the man's man. Ultimately, you have to decide whether or not God would be sovereign in putting together the Word of God. Ultimately, you have to decide whether or not you believe God's in control to give us the Scriptures that are in Aaron and that are truthful. That's the question that you have to wrestle through. Only faith and trust by the power of the Spirit will give you the answer to that. It is factual. We can trace scriptural truths to facts. In fact, we could go even to identify a man named Luke. We could even go and identify a man named Philip. We could even go and identify the Ethiopian eunuch if we decided to take the time, if we were intrigued enough to do so. And more importantly, we can identify a man named Jesus who forever changed all of history. How do we know that? Because time pivots on Jesus. We have an Ethiopian eunuch who is reading the Word of God. And my statement to you is this. If you really believe that Scripture is real, you believe that it's the beginning of a changed life. And for the Ethiopian eunuch, it was the beginning of a changed life. Why do we know that? Because his beginning is found in reading the Scripture. And not just any scripture, by the way, and I want to point your attention to this very factually and very clearly. The scripture that he is reading is from the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. We know that to be true. But not only is it a scroll of Isaiah, he is reading the most Christological, Christ-centered chapter out of all of the book of Isaiah. God is in control and the Bible is true. So what he's reading right here, this part that you have in verses 32 and 33, is the most Christ-centered part of all of the book of Isaiah. So whenever God sent, now get this, God's in control. Whenever God said to Philip, leave these people, go to the desert, find these people, he sees a chariot running across 60 miles of road, and he says to Philip, now run to that chariot, that man needs to hear my truth. The minute that he runs up, what does he hear the Ethiopian reading? The most Christ-logical part of Isaiah. The part that tells the most about who Jesus is and what He did for us on the cross. You don't believe me? Read the text. Like a sheep. Who is the sheep? Jesus. Like a sheep, Jesus was led to the slaughter. And a lamb before its shears is silent, so He opened not His mouth. Jesus guided and directed to the cross. And what does the Ethiopian eunuch do? He says, who is this written about, the prophet? Or is he talking about somebody else? And at that exact moment, now I don't know about you, but I've never ran 60 miles across the desert. You ain't even think about that yet, did you? I ran a marathon one time. It took me five and a half hours to run 26 miles. And that was in November in Tulsa, Gaza, Jerusalem, desert land, exact moment, Jesus. God is in control. And the word of God begins the change in someone's life. So the Ethiopian reunic reads specifically from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, now let me help you just for a minute. Do you know when Isaiah was written? Let me just get factual with you. 700 B.C. Before Jesus. Do you know when Acts chapter 8 was written? 
70 A.D. If my calculation's right, 770 years have gone by between the prophecy of this man, Jesus, who the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from a scroll about, written in 700 B.C., and this man, Jesus, in 33-ish A.D., died on the cross, was raised from the grave. In around 70 A.D., a man named Philip runs across the desert to tell an Ethiopian eunuch on a chariot in the middle of the desert that what he is reading, 700 years from 700 years, 733 years before the man he's reading about actually died on the cross, He's reading about that man dying on a cross. Right? Like, mind blown. Okay. If I haven't proved my point to you. that If I haven't proved my point to you that if you really believe that God's Word is true, you believe that it's the beginning of a changed life, let me point you another picture. So Philip runs up, he hears, him, he hears him reading that scripture, and notice what happens. It says that the Ethiopian eunuch asks, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? And then Philip, pay attention, then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with what? The scripture. That means that Philip, the man who stood and preached the gospel to crowds and saw them trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, believes that the only way the eunuch will ever come to faith in Jesus Christ is if the word is preached. That means that he believes that the word is the beginning of a changed life. That means he looks at the eunuch and he says, I got no other place to start other than the truth of God's Word. Then it says that he goes from the truth of God's Word, from the facts of Scripture, and he goes to the Gospel. Now listen, for those of you in this room who are wrestling with whether or not you believe that God's Word is true, hear me. What Philip does is he starts with Isaiah. And he paints the picture of this man named Jesus. And in the summation of presenting the gospel, here are the things that he would have said. Listen to me. God created the heavens and the earth. And God created you. And in the very beginning, Sin entered the world through the first created beings. Sin is what separates you from God. And the consequence that you owe for your sin is death. For there is no one righteous, no, not one. There's no one who's without sin. There's no one who's not lost and separated from a holy God. Every person is broken because of sin and every person owes death. Because of that sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord, the man you're reading about in that scroll of Isaiah. 
And that man, Jesus, he came and he walked upon the earth and he lived the only sinless life that's ever existed upon the earth. And not only that, that just happened about 40 years ago. That man lived a perfect life and had no sin, but yet he was put to death upon a sinner's cross. Why? Because what you owe for your sin is death. But Jesus gave himself in death so that you may be pardoned and forgiven of your death. And not only that, once he died on that cross and he said, it is finished, they removed him off that cross and they placed him in that grave. They rolled a big stone in front of that grave and they knew that Jesus had said while he was alive that in three days I shall return again. And they took that as truth. Why? How do we know that? Because they guarded that tomb. They protected it. They thought that Jesus was speaking truthful or more or less they thought that it might be some kind of scheme and they would come and steal his body. So they positioned guards. Three days later, an angel shows up. The guards pass out. The stone rolls away. And out walks Jesus Christ raised from the dead, resurrected from the grave. When he came forth, he went and he met with his disciples. He experienced the 12 disciples. He experienced many more. And they touched him in the places where the nails hung him to the cross. They spoke with him. They ate with him. He entered into rooms with them. They walked down the street with them. And at the end of time, he looked at them and he said, I'm going to ascend into heaven now. Where on that day, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God. Resurrected king, seated upon his his throne and someday he will come back and he will call those who believe and trust in him home for those who have been saved by the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ you will receive heaven listen Philip would have said to that Ethiopian eunuch you were created and you're a sinner separated from God and by that sin you deserve death But Jesus died in your place. And He resurrected from the grave. And He did that so you may have life. Would you trust by the power of the Word and the working of the Spirit the control of God in saving your soul? Would you surrender and join your life to His? Would you be baptized, declaring once and forevermore that you are joined with God the Father and Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? If you really believe that God's Word is true, you'll believe that the Word of God is what begins a change in someone's life. Listen, if you really believe that God's Word is true, You won't be able to do anything but obey it. How do I know that's true? Because at the moment that Philip shared from the Scripture to the Gospel, the truth of God's Word, the Ethiopian eunuch asked his fourth question. There's water right here. Baptize me. What must I do to be baptized? Philip and that eunuch threw that chariot into park, right? climb down off that chariot and they hit that water and the Ethiopian eunuch made a public declaration that his life was forever changed by the truth of the gospel 
buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised to walk in a new life with Him. You know, every time I get to baptize, the most powerful words of that statement is this. Buried with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Raised to walk. We join our lives in salvation and in baptism. Baptism is not a saving work. It's the declaration of what Jesus has already done in your life and drawing you to salvation. And the eunuch wanted nothing more than to allow the Spirit and allow the Word of God to be obeyed in his life. If you truly believe that God's Word is true, you believe that it's the beginning of a changed life. If you truly believe that God's Word is true, you will obey it. And listen to me. Christian, if you truly believe that God's Word is true, you're going to tell other people about it. You remember we're coming back to Philip, right? I told you two things that he was. You remember what they were? Available, obedient, and willing to speak what God told him to speak. God is in control and His Word is true and powerful. And it's able to change people's lives. God's Word is able to impact the darkest places in someone's heart. It's able to bring to light the worst sins. And it beckons. Repent and be saved. Chris and I have a, a common background. Let me tell you how I met Chris, who's leading worship for us here. In 2013, 2012 to 2013, I was the pastor at Trinity Baptist Church in Maude, Oklahoma. And there was this committee that came calling me from First Baptist Church of Sayre. And at that time, Chris Copeland was working in the oil field. He wasn't leading music much. He was hanging out with our youth and doing some there. He wasn't called to ministry. But Chris was on that search committee that brought me to First Baptist Church of Sayre. Chris and I go back several years now. We're brothers as brothers can be. Let me tell you about a common experience that Chris and I shared. One of my very first Sundays at preaching at First Baptist Church of Sayre I preached the Philippian jailer. Let me tell you the story about a young man that was present there that night because it might be impactful for you. Prentice Wood had woken up on Tuesday of the Sunday before I preached about the Philippian jailer in Miami, Florida. And he woke up in Miami, Florida, and he thought he had this distinct impression on his heart and on his mind. I need to board a plane and go to Oklahoma. So he went down to the Miami airport and he bought a plane ticket that day. He flew to Oklahoma City. He spent the night on the streets in Oklahoma City because he didn't know anybody. The next morning, the Lord woke him up. He didn't know it was the Lord. He wasn't saved. 
He woke up that morning. He said, I had a distinct impression that I needed to hitchhike to Sayre, Oklahoma, and I didn't even know where that was. I looked it up on a map. I found it. I started out of Oklahoma City catching as many 18-wheelers as I could to get there. He arrived in Sayre, Oklahoma Wednesday night. He spent four nights on the street, nowhere to stay. He woke up Sunday morning, had a distinct impression that he needed to go into that First Baptist Church on the hill in Sayre. He walked in that morning, and I never will forget the first time I saw him. Prentice had these demon tattoos on his neck. He was a real big fella. Whenever he came walking in, it's one of those as a pastor you pay attention to. You don't know the intentions of man. You don't know the intentions of Satan. Well, you kind of do know that. didn't matter. I shouldn't have judged. He came in and he sat down about halfway back in the center section. The Lord had given me a passage. I'm a Philippians jailer. In fact, I, I'll tell you why I was doing it. I was just preaching through the book of Philippians trying to encourage the church as my first book to walk through. But it just so happened that morning it was the Philippian jailer that I was supposed to preach. So I got up and I started preaching that word and using the, the scripture to dictate and just trying to be as faithful to it and as true as I can. And you, you know that text. Paul and Silas, they're in that jail and that Philippian jailer put them in those stocks and in those bonds and threw them in that inner cell. And then Paul and Silas are in that inner cell and they're singing praise at midnight. And as they're singing that praise, God brings an earthquake and them, that prison cell swings open and them stocks that they have on fell off and that prison guard comes running in and he thinks, oh no, all the prisoners are escaped and he draws his sword and he's going to take his own life. And Paul screams out don't kill yourself we're all here and that man comes running in and he says what must I do to be saved and in those moments Paul starts with the scripture teaches him and preaches him the gospel and that Philippian jailer saved and the Bible says he and his whole family that morning I had every head bow going to enter into a time of invitation I don't even get started and Prentice is out of his seat coming running down the aisle and here's what he says to me as soon as he gets to the front what must I do to be saved I believe that God's in control and I believe that his word is true I believe it changes lives that day Prentice was saved and he wanted to be baptized right then <laughs> we didn't do it because we're Baptist he got baptized that night I don't know why you're here tonight but I know that God does whether you're saved in the room or you're not God's got you here for a reason He's got you in Davis, Oklahoma for a reason. And I do know this, He's got me here for a reason. I didn't come here for any money. I didn't come here because prestige, getting to preach more places. I didn't come because Lance is my buddy. I came because I felt like the Lord wanted me here. Which means that if he wanted me here, he's in control of that. He's in control of what he wants to say to you. 
trying to just be faithful like Philip. Available. Obedient. Preaching the word. I need you to do the same with me this week. I need you to do the same with me this week. Let's bow our heads together. Guys, I don't know how else to mince the words, so I'm just going to say it. I know you believe in an altar call. I know that in every Baptist church I've ever been in, whenever a pastor says altar calls are important, every person says, yes, that's right. The question then becomes, how do we respond to an altar call? Because if you believe that it's important and powerful, then you ought to say yes to it if the pastor calls you to it. So this morning, this evening, here's the altar call. If you're not saved, Lance is going to be here. And if the Spirit speaks into your heart, you know it. God's in control. He's the one that draws hearts to salvation. He's the one that's given His Word and caused it to go, go forth. So if tonight you need to be saved, you step out of that aisle and you don't hesitate for a moment. You don't let anybody else around you distract you. You don't let anything in this room steal the opportunity for you to surrender to Jesus Christ. God brought you here specifically for a purpose and a reason. If you need to be saved, that's the reason. You step out of that aisle and you come down here and say, Lance, I need to be saved. What must I do to be saved? And he's going to help you. The rest of you, the altar call is this. I want you to pray earnestly for one person. One person that's a neighbor of yours. One person that's a co-worker of yours. One person that's a family member of yours. One person. Pray and say, Lord, who is that one person? And if he's already given you a name, you pray right now. You start praying. You can come and kneel at this altar and have an altar call here on these pews at this stage. I'd praise the Lord. It's not some gimmick. It's, it's, the, it's the humbling of the Spirit to come and kneel before Him and say, God, do your work that only you can do. So you either kneel right there where you are, or you put your head on that pew in front of you, you come and kneel here at this altar, or you, whatever you're supposed to do, you just, you just say yes. Let the Lord make you available. Let Him make you obedient. And let Him use you to communicate His Word to others. That's the altar call. I'm going to pray. You're going to stay seated. Chris is going to start singing. You don't let the song be a distraction to you saying yes to the Lord and being saved or yes to the Lord in praying or yes to the Lord in whatever else He's doing. If you're supposed to sing, you sing. But you do what God wants you to do. Be obedient. God, we love you, and we pray right now that you just have your spirit poured out here over this room, God. And whatever you desire to do, we're going to trust you, God, that you know what you're doing, and we don't. And we know, God, that you're going to accomplish great and powerful things now that only you can accomplish. And, God, you're going to use the prayers of your saints over those who are lost, and they're going to get saved this week. We're trusting we're trusting that you're the God who's in control of these things. If there's any person here who's not saved this morning, right now, this evening, I pray right now, God, that you'd draw them by the power of your spirit and that you'd cause them to rise to their feet even when no one else does and that they would come down this aisle, they would grab Lance and that they would be saved. Not by our works, not by our words, but by your spirit. That they'd be gloriously saved for you and your kingdom.
We're going to praise you, God, for whatever you desire to do now. We give it to you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray all of these things. Amen.